Hold up. First of all, happy Halloween. Second of all, before you get into this episode, I did want to point you to our YouTube channel. You might be missing out some of the conversation because if you go there, we have a whole lot of visuals, including the list of what the professional's talking about, added visuals, pictures to really enhance the whole presentation. And hey, if you haven't watched it yet, I'm not that ugly. Give it a shot. All jokes aside, throw it on at work. You can search Rare Petro on YouTube. If your boss walks by, tell them it's professional development and hey, you might even impress them. So we've got lots of videos up there, lots of resources, and I'll stop yabbing and let you enjoy the interview. Alrighty, Rare Petro audience, welcome back. We've got another episode of the Industry Leader Spotlight, and today I am very excited to welcome the youngest guest that we've actually featured, Miss Ashley Zumwalt Forbes. Thank you for coming to the show, Ashley. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. So Ashley is the co-founder and president at Black Mountain International. She has a Bachelor's of Science in Petroleum Engineering from the University of Oklahoma and an MBA from Harvard Business School. She's also been featured in the Forbes 30 Under 30, and I got to say, I'm excited to be a part of this interview because I myself grew up in a very small town, so can you give us your origin story? How did you get started in oil and gas? What kicked it off? Absolutely. I'm interested to hear what town you're from, too, so we'll have to circle back to that. <laughs> of course. But, so I am from a town in Oklahoma, east of Oklahoma City, called Choctaw, um, and I was raised by a really hardworking family that was really ingrained for me from from an early start um, and for that you know forever thankful and think it really set kind of my my principles uh, for life Absolutely. and for how to approach challenges and approach work um, but I was the first person in my immediate family to attend university um, and so I didn't really know really what my options were or what I wanted to do or, you know, what <laughs> you does, could right? <laughs> do um, from Oklahoma, though. So we have quite a bit of oil and gas, as, as we all know. Yep. Um, and I saw oil and gas as an interesting way to, you know, kind of get out of my town, um, get to travel, get to t tackle these big, interesting challenges. And ultimately, I think that energy business and, and obviously oil and gas being a piece of that is, is one of those businesses that, you know, you can really feel the impact you're making um, because there's no sure way to improve someone's quality of life than raising them out of energy poverty. Mm -hmm. So if it's just, you know, connecting them to electricity or, um, you know, making their power bills cheaper and, and more affordable, I think it's amazing. So it's something I started because it's kind of all I knew and I've stayed in it because I love the impact it, it you feel on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And then this is the Industry Leader podcast series. So some of those may not have heard of you, not yet, of course, but can you explain how you kind of became an industry leader? How and when did you decide to start your own business? Yes, great question. So again, my background is petroleum engineering, went to the University of Oklahoma, and I was a drilling and completions engineer at ExxonMobil. 
I loved it because, you know, I liked that kind of large scale project management. I did international shale exploration, which means I was kind of the first person or one of the first people in the country. Um, so really got to do a, a huge range of activities, much more than generally you'd get to do as a normal drilling air completions engineer. So mm -hmm. procurement, trying to figure out regulations, I mean, the whole gamut. Um, but I also, on the same token, just didn't like being at, at a large company and so knew I wanted to make that transition. And so for me, and I'm not saying this is everyone's transition, <laughs> I get a lot of questions about MBAs. And so for me, I went and got an MBA um, and it ended up being a great transition point for me. Do I think you have to have an MBA? No but it was incredibly helpful for me. So that's my, my little spiel there. But I, um, I did go get an MBA um, and ended up, you know, through uh, networking within the oil and gas private equity space, ended up meeting a guy named Rhett Bennett, who's now, uh, who's CEO of all the Black Mountain companies. Um, and at the time, I mean, he's still a super young guy, but at the time he was like 36 or 37 and had started nine companies since 2007. Yeah. And I was like, it, look, if I'm trying to go learn from someone how to do this, it's going to be him. Like, I want to be him when I'm, you know, in, in <laughs> years time, like I want to be this man. And so ended up being an amazing decision. So I actually joined the Black Mountain Oil and Gas Group, but within four months had co-founded Black Mountain Metals. And um, so four that, months. you know, we went to Australia, or I went to Australia and set up our Perth office and raised $75 million to go buy some nickel sulfide mines. So that's specifically what goes in lithium ion batteries. And then a year later, um, start co-founded my second company called Black Mountain Exploration. Um, in there, we own 1.7 million acres of tight gas acreage also in Australia. And then in March of this year, co-founded my third company, um, Black Mountain Oil and Gas in Abu Dhabi. Um, so my time zones are crazy. That's, that's <laughs> really the summary. I was going to say, I bet there's probably lots of meetings at just obscure hours. Very odd, very <laughs> odd. I know my husband is still like, what? Oh, like, why are you waking up in the middle of the night for these random calls? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> and then I yeah. want to circle back to education because you talked about it. So clearly, yeah, MBA also. You did a little bit with energy law at OU again, right? I did. I did. Um, so that was really interesting. Um, so I kind of subscribe to this theory that you're never done learning like you're never you know um just like you know everything you need to know and you're just gonna go and embark <laughs> on on your journey and in a way you go uh -huh. and you can do that in a formal or informal capacity and i think particularly informal continuous education is vital particularly in today's day and age where things are evolving so quickly um, but for me, you know, the OU, so again, I'm OU alma mater for my bachelor's degree, um, the OU College of Law offered a really interesting uh, master's in legal studies focused on the oil and gas business, so specifically U.S. oil and gas, 
Um, and I do quite a lot in the tangible assets space. And so even though it was specifically focused on oil and gas, you know, it was really helpful in kind of understanding the legal side of mining transactions or real estate transactions or any, any type of tangible asset. So for me, you know, going back for that formal education piece was a great check in the, check in the box on um, continuous education. But again, you can do it informally, you can do it formally. And I think on the formal side, you just need to begin with the end in mind. Like, what is it that I'm trying to get out of this degree? Definitely. And so I guess it makes it easy if you're, you've got the mindset that you're always learning. Does that yeah. make it easy to balance the school, the work, everything that you did? Or was it kind of difficult to balance time between all aspects of life? Because you've oh, got an look. illustrious career in such a short amount of time. It was wild. So it was, um, let's see, I graduated from business school in 2017. Um, and so founded Black Mountain Metals kind of that January 2018. And mm -hmm. um, also in 2018, I got engaged in February of 2018. Congratulations, a little Thank late, you. but. <laughs> and then I went back to school um, to get this master's degree. Thankfully, it was all online. Um, but it was insane. So, you know, trying to found a company um, get my, my third degree, my second master's and then plan a wedding was just, <laughs> it, it, I really don't recommend it. I don't recommend it to anyone, <laughs> but you know, look, I, I jokes aside, like, I do think you find time for what's important to you. Um, and, and for me continuing education and, just trying to figure out what is going to be relevant in the future and how you can keep your professional skills sharp and relevant, mm. I think is very important. And so, although, you know, it was, it, it continues to be a very, very busy time, um, you're going to fill your time with something. So, you know, if, if you're going to be filling your time, you should do it with things that you think make an impact. Hmm. And for me, that's certainly one of my pillars. All righty. And then we've kind of gone through all the questions we typically ask someone. But since you were the youngest that we've had on the show, I'd like to move into the future. There's still plenty of room to grow. So yes. where do you see yourself? Will you stay with natural resources or do you think your entrepreneurial itch will maybe drive you into a different aspect, a different industry? Yeah. Look, I would be very surprised if I transitioned away from natural resources or, you know, kind of this tangible assets group. Um, I know I keep repeating that bizarre phrase, tangible assets, but it's <laughs> always the way I've described what I'm interested in. So I really like to be able to see something like if I can see it, I can touch it. Like you own that. Mm -hmm. um, it like the, the technology and like things in the cloud, et cetera. I get how it creates value, but it is just not my thing. It is uh -huh. not my thing. Um, and so I would be genuinely shocked if I transitioned away from natural resources. And I really think it comes back to what I said, you know, in my very first kind of answer that it's hard to find a business where you truly feel like you're making more of an impact. Um, you're impacting people's everyday lives everything we own includes something from the oil and gas business or something from the mining and metal space. You know, it's really that 
foundational uh, foundational group of industries that enable our, our world to run. I'd say second order to that, I do think it's um, filled with some of the most interesting people. And I absolutely love the personalities involved in the space. Um, and I think they're both very conducive to being entrepreneurial. Um, so both businesses were very much built by entrepreneurs um, and people just getting out there and try to make it make it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd love to keep getting out there and keep making it happen. I love to hear that. And then now want to pick your brain as an expert in not only energy, but tangible resources, like you say. So what are your thoughts on this current downturn? And also, if you could, the growing negative sentiment with oil and gas or maybe other resources. Yes. Um, this is my favorite subject. So thank you for asking. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I'm going to tackle that second piece first. And, you know, in our modern world, we're all very focused on the energy transition and how to achieve decarbonization. And I am right there with with everyone else. We, these are things we have to do in order to ensure human survival going forward. What I don't agree with is that fossil fuels people see renewables as the enemy and renewables see fossil fuels as the enemy. Where in reality, you know, if you're actually looking at tackling this massive challenge on a granular basis, like actually thinking through the operations of how to make the transition, um, the capital piece of how we're going to fund the transition, there is no way that either group can stand on their own. Uh-huh. It's not going to work. So I'm a an extreme advocate for coming together kind of holding hands as as you know fossil fuels and renewables and trying to figure out a more blended approach and actually how to make a sustainable shift while keeping power prices low but every bit hitting our our um, carbon emissions goals And so for me, what that looks like is on the fossil fuel side, I am incredibly bullish natural gas, which you would have heard because I co-founded two natural gas companies. Um, Huge fan. So I think natural gas gets a bit of of a bad reputation because it is lumped in um, as a fossil fuel. But what people don't take the time to dig through is the the various fossil fuels have incredibly different emissions profiles and so i think if you actually sit down and look at the emissions profiles on the fossil fuel side versus the emissions profiles of the supply chains of the various renewable energies you can come up with a really interesting compelling, responsible plan going forward around how we can actually achieve the energy transition. So for me, like the oil and gas business is not dead. I think that's, it's, it's a bit overplayed. Um, and, and I think, you know, folks tend to have knee jerk reactions in big times of transition, particularly when the world is, is falling apart with, mm-hmm. with um, COVID-19 this year. Yep. So I think what's gonna happen is all the investment that is currently running away from the space, inevitably, you know, we're gonna look up in, in a year or two and say like, oh man, maybe that was kind of short-sighted. 
and we're going to have to remediate some of that lack of investment. So I think the more people young in their career, um, entrepreneurs, or just generally business professionals can kind of get on the front foot trying to think through how to marry those concepts and really have a sustainable plan, I think the better off like everyone's careers are going to be. But second to that, I think the better off the world's going to be. No, definitely. I couldn't agree more. I think the future is definitely going to revolve around a balanced and diverse energy portfolio. So we need to work to become energy specialists, not environmental engineers over here and then yeah. petroleum and engineers over there. We've got to work together. Absolutely. We absolutely do. I think we're all environmental engineers. You know, I think oh, of course. Uh, when I was at um, ExxonMobil, Rex Tillerson was still CEO and he had this famous quote that I have have it's it's really stuck with me but he said you know everyone's first job at ExxonMobil is risk management and like that is everyone's first job is you know making sure we don't take on too much risk and so it's something that you know it really stuck out to me as that is a bold statement like you are making it crystal clear where the company stands on who who is responsible like who is going to be left holding uh -huh. the bag and it is everyone and that's really how i feel about everyone in the energy business with being an environmental engineer like all right guys we got to figure this out like people are, are counting on us much like with COVID 19 you know the world was completely sidelined and that was was and continues to be the time for scientists and doctors in our medical community to step up um, and they're really proving themselves. So I'm hoping the energy business is able to come together and knock it out of the park. All right. And then on that subject of coronavirus, of course, the whole world's affected, but you personally, young businesses, young projects, how has Black Mountain tried to navigate these waters with, well, COVID? Yeah, look, it's been a nightmare. 2020 is a bad year. I think if anybody tells you that they have not had a bad year, they are lying to you. You need to call them on it. But uh, no, look, I would say it's been particularly tough because we're a global business. Um, and so, you know, we're in the US, we're in Australia, we're in the UAE, and nobody can get between any of those countries anymore. Um, so pre-COVID, I was spending kind of 75% of my time in, in Australia. And then come March 15th, I'm completely grounded in the U.S., have not wow. left the U.S. since then. Um, and so that's tough when I don't get FaceTime with my teams um, or, you know, get to have those critical negotiations, critical meetings in person. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it very much has, it's been a year of don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Like you just figure it out. Um, and I do think the quicker we all kind of come to terms with, um, you know, th this is the, the new normal, the, the easier it's going to be for us all. Um, because, you know, having Zoom meetings, not as ideal as us in person, but you can, you can still get it done. You can get it done. You can figure it out. Um, and I'm, I'm really proud of, of how people have responded, but it has been a very tough year. Oh, yeah. And then in response to this very tough year, what things will come out of it? How will the energy industry and or tangible resources, how Thank will those change? Um, look, so I am um, going into coronavirus. 
I just kept maintaining that electric vehicles were going to be a big winner and out, out of all of this because it became very clear that we were going to have to have massive, massive government subsidy packages mm -hmm. to try to bail out the economy. And so a great way in a common way for governments to try to influence business policy or, or kind of de decisions um, for their citizens is incentivizing various behaviors with subsidies and yep. um, and so you know again we mine battery metals in australia and so electric vehicles are something that um i i really focus on adoption percentages and trying to figure out where it's going to take off first how quickly etc um we're there so i will say like almost every government subsidy package particularly in places like europe um, and in places like china uh, have really been encouraging um, the purchase of electric vehicles and so that's something we've seen a huge spike and so inevitably like they are here to stay like, we're, we're almost getting to the point where there's like critical mass you're almost to the tipping point on internal combustion engine versus ev cost parity and at that stage, you know, there, you, the market really starts to flood. Definitely. And so I, I think that's something that will continue to be. Um, I also think a way the energy business will transition out of this is increased focus on energy storage um, and how to kind of get creative around bridging that renewable power gap during um, hours of, of non-renewable energy generation. Um, so I do think energy storage is going to be another big winner out of this. Oil and gas, not a big winner out of this, but I do think give it a couple years and folks will realize like it, it is a critical piece of the pie. It's not going to be a 2020 winner though. No, I like the way you describe all of this too, like critical mass between legislation in California that we've seen even just last week or 100%. developing technologies for batteries to solve those problems of intermittency. Yes. You're, you're in a good position either way. I mean, it's, it's nice to have your hands in both sides, although I don't like We'll to, see. Uh, Yet to be determined. And then there's a lot of young people my age who listen to this podcast. I have colleagues I graduated with who are in oil and gas, who are not in oil and gas, who are just in the energy industry. So what advice do you have for them? I mean, young 20-something not too far off from you, what is the best thing they can do to decide maybe whether or not to enter the industry, career trajectories, and navigating energy? Yep. Um, best advice is just remember that no decision you make is permanent. So <laughs> if, if you decide to, or rather, there are very few decisions okay, in okay, yeah. make that are permanent. <laughs> Let me let me take a step back there. Um, yeah, I've got some bad tattoos that would <laughs> beg to I know, differ. Look, I don't know what to tell you about that, but no. So look, I do think you know, folks, and I re I remember when I was leaving university or or in my early twenties, I would agonize over career decisions, and it's do I want to go in the oil and gas business? What if I want to go into renewables eventually? You know, what if oil and gas starts declining? The good news is all of those outcomes are fine. Like if you do decide to enter the oil and gas business, which I encourage you to, it was a great learning ground for me and a great place to sharpen your skills. 
you can always make a decision that, hey, actually energy storage over there looks interesting. Like I'm gonna go check out, check it out for a little bit. I might be back, I might not, I don't know. Um, and that's okay. I think, you know, the, the old model of careers was very linear. And now in today's modern world, you know, the average time to keep a job is like three years. Um, and people change industries, change companies, change positions, functions, and you should like, you need to get out there and see different things because the more diverse your viewpoint, the better business decisions you're going to be able to make for your company and for yourself. So I would say just try to keep an open mind, continuously learn and keep your skills relevant, and you will always be able to pivot as you go along. So don't put too much pressure on yourself to land the 100% perfect thing. You will get there. You, you figure it out as you go along. And I love to hear that. I mean, really, as young professionals, we can do anything. There's no reason to pigeonhole yourself into something when no. you can continue to grow and learn new things. Sure. And you can so, go do something different in the future. You don't like it? That's okay. Figure something else out. <laughs> I love that mindset. Then also talking about mindsets, I did read somewhere that uh, as a young professional being successful, something you dealt with a lot was imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. Um, so look, I mean, I was 28 um, when I co-founded my first company and it was a global battery metals mining company. I didn't know anything about mining. I knew I had like two months of, of starting to learn about mining and um, in a couple of months of researching battery chemistries. And I was like off trying to go buy some nickel mines. And it was horrifying, like to the depths of my soul. It was a very, <laughs> very intimidating experience. Oh yeah. Uh, I had a lot of conviction that, you know, what we were doing was the right thing and we were going to create a lot of value for investors. And I just loved that, you know, it felt like we were really pioneering that electrification space for oil and gas people. And what I ended up learning on how to deal with imposter syndrome, which again, deal with it every day to this day of like, (laughs) what am I doing here? But, um, you know, you don't personally have to know everything. In fact, like you shouldn't, like you should not know everything. (laughs) You need to know the people to ask the right questions to. So hire the right people, have the right mentors, have the right friends, contacts, you know, across the board, you need to be able to reach out to those smart people who do know the answers um, and learn from them and develop from them over time. But you don't have to have all the answers. And once I realized that, it did make me feel um, less kind of out of place. Um, but it is, I mean, imposter syndrome is hard. Like you, you really do, you know, every day you wake up and you're like, man, I have this meeting with like, you know, the president or, you know, whoever it is, it's, yeah. it's like, it's shocking. It's shocking. <laughs> okay. And then, I mean, being a young professional, you're probably, well, I know you're on LinkedIn. I've looked at your profile and researched I'm for this interview, LinkedIn. but <laughs> networking, clearly a big point, like you've just mentioned, how has that changed with coronavirus? I mean, you can't do that FaceTime we were talking about. Is it all just interviews with some random kid? <laughs> Yes. So (laughs) yes, it is. Um, No. So it does go back to LinkedIn. Like I think LinkedIn is the most underrated business tool. Like I, it's literally 
what helped me start Black Mountain Metals. I was reaching out. I would read about a company online and then I'd look that company up on LinkedIn and I'd reach out to the CEO and ask if they talked to me and explain what they were doing. Uh-huh. I'd like an 80% hit rate. Like people really? will talk to you. People will talk to you. If you genuinely you know, go to them with like, hey, this is what I'm thinking about. These are the questions I have. Can you or someone else in the business talk to me? And I, I know I, gen, I generally am very responsive to those types of requests. I try to carve out time in my calendar um, to uh, weekly to, to talk to people and just help them kind of think through their upcoming decisions because so many people have done that for me um, and it really cha- changed my life. So I will say LinkedIn has been incredibly valuable um, from, a, from a networking standpoint, but also literally from like starting businesses standpoint. And also I've hired a bunch of people off of LinkedIn because mm-hmm. I have a recruiter profile so I can uh. own it. I can find like anybody. And then uh, I'd also say, you know, now is, is a weird time. So the usual networking tips don't, don't work. Like I I usually go to, um, you know, various kind of industry conferences um, and, and really go out of my way to introduce myself to new people, talk to new people. We're, we're just not there right now. So yeah, it's tough. Get someone's attention in a little chat box in the side of a virtual conference. I mean, I do my best to add people, but <laughs> it's hard. It's mm. hard. I know. Look, it's bad year. It's bad year. <laughs> uh-huh. well, I think that takes us through all the questions we wanted to ask. So, is there anything else you'd like to highlight, illustrate, or really exemplify from this interview before we draw it to a close? Yeah. Look. Um, I think it goes back to, I know I'm, I'm kind of the youngest person on the podcast so far, but I should not be the last young, the last young person. And so I'm talking to the audience here. Like, I think so often in life, we think, look, I just need 10 more years. I need 10 more years of, you know, getting some experience, like proving myself, building a reputation, and then I'm going to go out and I'm going to take that big swing and I'm going to try to go for it. You don't need to wait. Like you really don't need to wait. If you have an idea or have conviction around something or want to build something, start a company, you should just go do it. Like, I know it's really easy to say that, but it goes back to my original point of like, you know, no decision, few decisions are permanent. Um, you know, go, go try, go try to start something, go try to get your dream job because just because we're young, you know, like I think we just bring an incredibly interesting perspective and skill set to bear around, you know, sometimes bringing fresh eyes and you identify better opportunities than someone who's been looking at it for 30 years. Mm -hmm. So don't just write yourself off because you're young or because you're in an, in, you know, your first job, your entry level position or whatever, um, you, you need to get out there and, and really try to improve the world because we have a lot of huge challenges that need smart, energetic, passionate people trying to tackle them. And there's no reason it can't be you. So that's what I would, would leave people with. I know it's easy to say like, I'm 30 now. So, you know, very mature over here. <laughs> and I've, I've turned over to thirties, but 
in my twenties, you know, people would say like, how old are you? I'm like, Oh, 28. And they're like, what are you like? What are you doing over here? <laughs> Don't listen to those people. Go prove them wrong. Uh-huh. Well, that is wildly inspiring. So again, thank you for coming on the show. If you'd like to learn more about Ashley, you can find her on LinkedIn. I'll put the information to reach blackmountain.com here in my hand and down below in the link to the video. So again, Ashley, thank you. No problem. Thanks, guys. Yeah, of course. Thank you for your contributions. And until we see you next time, everybody, take care.